There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old. Avengers Infinity War draws near. And in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York, with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are The Marvelists. How's it going, everybody? And welcome to The Marvelists, a podcast which covers the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm Peter Malnick. I'm Eddie Wilson. And let's get cracking. So... First off, before we get to everything, actually, you can find us on Twitter at The Marvelists. And how to spell that, people, is T-H-E-M-A-R-V-E-L-I-S-T-S. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Now, Eddie, since we got that little bit out of the way, what are we covering for today's episode? Today, in our inauguration, the first in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, going back 10 years now to 2008, The one, the only, that started off as an independent film, we're told, Iron Man. Yes, Iron Man, also directed by Jon Favreau and starring Mr. RDJ himself, Robert Downey Jr. Now, Eddie, before we even get to talking about Iron Man, we have to give a little bit of a backstory, kind of like a secret origin of Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios, as some of you may know or may not know, is actually the was actually starting off originally as a company that licensed out, you know, films and stuff yeah. like that. They were under New World Cinema, or New World, New World Films, I believe, and they would, you know, license out film rights to different companies. For example, you know, Fox ended up getting the X-Men. They ended up getting, like, just tons of different little characters. And then you see Captain America going here, there. They had Namor, the Submariner, over at Universal, which actually to this day is still there. Okay. And just absolutely crazy some of the places that these characters ended up going. Because at one point, Stan Lee ran off to Hollywood and said, Well, true believers, we're going to have this character go over here and over here. We'll make lots of money. Did he really? Now you're, you're sounding like a modified uh, Gilbert Gottfried there. <laughs> see, I want to do a Gilbert Gottfried impression right now, but I can't. Okay, but... that's fine. Yeah, it's it We've got was, more of the history on this too, so I'm going to follow right along with you. It's it's absolutely crazy though because compare that to a certain company, the distinguished competition. Oh, the DC. Okay, did I say that out loud? Yes, you, you did. Right. But they ended up going all over, or you know, compared to DC, and DC is all under one roof. That's why I've, I remember seeing a meme not too long ago. It was uh, we have an army. Yeah, well, we have uh, all of our film rights, so... Oh, my. Yeah. Okay. Or no, we have a Hulk. We have all our film rights. Well, I was going with that, too, but... 
I knew this was going somewhere else. But overall, you know, we saw all these different characters thrown, you know, strewn all over God's creation in Hollywood. And I got to tell you, it kind of, you know, shot Marvel in the foot in a lot of ways. Because if you really want to do a cinematic universe, you have to have all those characters under one roof. You know, 2000, you know, in the, I believe 99, 2000, Sony ended up getting, you know, Spider-Man. They got the licensing rights for him. New Line Cinema had Blade. And I believe so all these different studios, they had that. Now, eventually in the late... 2000s, 2009, eventually Marvel Studios got bought out by Disney, the big mouse. In that, okay, in that time frame, I was going to say what you're saying about who got what and so on. You know, in the beginning, I think I'd heard somewhere, somebody can easily correct me because I could be wrong, that they wanted to, Marvel wanted to get this out to whoever would bite, you know, take, take the, not take the bait, but, you know, that they could get uh, contracted with and so on. And I think there was a lot of non-interest. So as a lot of things go, you know, promoting a new record, a new artist, that kind of thing, this this whole thing, it's, it's new ground. Who wants to take that, that gamble, that shot? And, and I think the technology that we have now helped in that endeavor. And, of course, later with the the swarms of, of and legions of fans that all these movies do draw and so on, you know, we now have a really hot, hot commodity to the attention of Disney now bringing every, everything and everybody together. And, you know, you look at all these different characters like they like I said, they were strewn across and just looking on here, you know, for example, Fox, Fox had X-Men, Daredevil, Elektra, the Fantastic Four. And it's characters, you know, that Marvel Studios, if they were like, hey, let's create our own universe, which, again, they did. Yeah. If those are key parts so now Marvel has to be like, what are we going to do? Yeah. You know, what are we going to do? Because we need to take these characters and build it up. What can we do? And it's interesting that I say Fox, by the way, mm -hmm. because the subject of today's episode, Iron Man, was actually briefly owned by Fox. Briefly. Oh, okay. And then they ended up selling off the film rights to New Line Cinema. And they ended up eventually not even doing anything. They tried. They tried for like a number of years. And then the rights reverted back to Marvel Studios. And Marvel Studios was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just make our own movie. Exactly. Right. And that's what wound up happening. Yeah. But the interesting thing about Iron Man is the average person in the 1990s, early to mid-2000s had no clue who Iron Man was. There was a 1990s cartoon series. But really, that's about it. No, you can't. You know, with, with any of the characters... A cartoon series, okay, so maybe a little bit of interest in a certain demographic, age group, whatever. But yeah, there's the question of why pick this character, Iron Man, to be the first one out of the box to, you know, test the waters, so to speak. Yeah, because when you look at the birth of the Marvel Universe, who is, who were the first people that were the focal point of the Marvel Universe in well, the comics? It wasn't, it wasn't Iron Man. It was four people. Mm -hmm. I think you know who I'm referring to. Go ahead. The Fantastic Four. There you go. And it's it's kind of strange. You know, you can't... It's not strange, really, although it's Doctor Strange. Oh, hey. Steven. Thank you. But, you know, you have all these characters, and you have to find a way to make this buildable, a world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you could have done Captain America first. You could have done Ant-Man first, which, by the way, 
in the initial wave of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the three films were supposed to be Iron Man, directed by John Favreau, Ant-Man, directed by Edgar Wright, and if I remember correctly, the third one was supposed to be Eddie, entertain the people while I do a quick little Google search. Well, now while Peter does his thing, we play some uh, music that is playing out of your head. So uh, whatever your favorite uh, elevator music might be now or music, if you're too young to know, it's okay. We'll just keep going until he types and continues right along. And uh, we get to Iron Man 2, which which will come eventually in the first phase of the Marvel Cinematic Movies, which uh, oddly enough came as the third one in the uh, release order. Because after the initial Iron Man, then there was the Incredible Hulk, the Ed Norton version, and then Iron Man 2 to complete and get closer to the first phase leading to the first Avengers movie. How am I doing, Peter Melnick? You're doing pretty great. Oh, geez, great. For for, for just Ed living. I actually can't find it at the moment. Uh, but here we are. If I remember correctly, the third one was supposed to be yeah. Thor? Question mark? But it was supposed to be Ant-Man by Edgar Wright, who actually was on the uh, project almost all the way up until Phase 3. And then he eventually left the project. You know, he, he quit. Oh, okay. And it, for those of you, you know, cinephiles out there, Edgar Wright is the guy responsible for the movies Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, At World's End, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and the most recent one, Baby Driver. And if you watched Ant-Man, by the way, there's a lot of elements of Ant-Man left in that movie the, you know, that Edgar Wright did. Okay. There's I don't, a, did not know. I'll have to look at that of, again when I get to my rewatch of uh, Ant-Man. A lot of the humor that Edgar Wright is known for is prevalent in that. So he his it's his, still his script, you know? Way cool. Way cool junior. Oh, uh, rat. Anyway. Musical interlude, thank you. It's kind of crazy, though, that, you know, the, that, you know, Ant-Man was supposed to be one of the initial starting focal points of the Marvel Universe. And when you really think about it, is Ant-Man that much of a character that, you know... The average person, you know, Joe Q. Public is going to look and go, "Who's that? I want to watch that. Yeah. A surprise hit, I think. If you see it, I think you like it. And maybe more than just like it. Ant-Man was an original Avenger. Oh, yeah. It was, the original Avengers were Iron Man, the Wasp, Ant-Man. Thor and Thor Hulk. Thor and Hulk, yeah. The, yep. origi- the Fab Five. Fab Five. <laughs> so. Yeah, but why pick... Yeah, that one exactly. To be honest, the the thing about Iron Man is, you know, going for a character like that. Again, you can't really relate to him. You know, mostly he's this rich tech industrialist. Gee, you know, when I when I go when I go to the movies, I'm like, you know what? I want to watch the guy, you know, the multimillionaire. No, I I want to. I I'm a Spider Man fan, like through and through. Yes, same here. And I love Spider Man because of how relatable the character is, but. The thing about Iron Man is this. He has his faults, and that's where the character is uh, relatable, you know? Yes, you can relate to the stereotype of the million-dollar uh, or billion billionaire, actually, and being the playboy that he is and so on. So you can relate to that stereotype, and from there we find the faults, and then we can relate exactly. So maybe that was part of the reasoning. And also, honestly, he's just a cool-looking character. And, you know, during the initial production. And he knows it. He's all that and a bag of chips. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he's, the com- he's the combo meal, you know? And he's he, he gets the drink. He gets the uh, large drink on the side. No ice. Because the drink's already cold as it is. You that know? is right. I say no ice a lot. Just see, to see if I'm going to get that service. 
It could and go either way. It's kind of like a little bit of a Van Halen kind of thing where you put in your contract, I want just green M&Ms in there oh, to see if they're paying no, attention. Well, either that or it's no brown. That, that's what I remember. No brown because it's already the same color. So why the hell bother? That's what they said in an interview at least. Now, I just find it, you know, interesting though with the use of Iron Man because also, like I said, he's just a cool looking character. And when you look at Iron Man, the you know, the initial test groups, they thought Iron Man was a robot. Not knowing anything about the character, yeah, I guess I could see that. Correct. Yeah. So you have to again, you know, develop that character, flesh him out a lot more. Yeah. But again, the whole idea of Iron Man of how he looks. That is honestly one of the major selling points of the character. He would later, though, become more robotic or remote-controlled in the subsequent films, which is a really good twist to use that. And if you hadn't seen and you get up to those parts, you, you kind of, like, get surprised and say, he wasn't even in the suit kind of thing. It was all a dream. <laughs> it was all a dream. That's it. And what I, you know, what I like about Iron Man is... Again, he has his problems. He's not perfect. And if you notice in these films, I've heard it on and off. They want to do it, and they don't want to do it. But doing the demon in a bottle storyline, which reflects on him basically realizing, oh, crap, I'm an alcoholic. His moment of clarity and all that. You think, you're saying they're still considering doing that? I've heard on and off. Like, they like they were supposed to do it for Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, and then... Because if you notice in Iron Man 2, he really goes off the wagon. Like right, and that's time. where I thought when you said that they could still be considering it, that I, I said to myself, wait, they already touched on that, and if you wanted to go further into that, you could get the story in the comic version, trade paperback, whatever, and, and go that way. But yes, they did show his flaws there and so on. That was, I think, a sub, um, you know, enough to, to touch on that part of his uh, flawed character and so on, not to really put a, put a downer on the whole scenario and stuff, but I thought it was a good... Um, homage to the character and go that that route by showing that particular uh, problem that he did turn around from yeah absolutely and you know you see all these different elements of the character and you you know combine them together and i would say in a lot of ways he is one of the most complex characters in the marvel universe yeah relationship issues and uh, substance issues kind of thing but i don't think that just to finalize this thought i don't i don't personally feel going back to the alcohol thing would be a good move really progress more so he's been portrayed with more problems after the first avengers movie having had him out in deep space and coming back and trying to adjust from the intergalactic threat and and so on there have been issues with that, so you know that the psychological part has been has been tinkered with, and so on. I don't think going back to the alcohol would be uh, would be a good move because he's moving, he's growing from from that. Now, going with you know the production of all this, originally the first person that wanted to be Iron Man on screen was somebody you know I learned today. I had no idea this person wanted to be him, mm-hmm. and it's hilarious because this isn't the first time. He's been involved with something superhero related, and it's would have been, you know, just again, maybe also second time he would have been involved with something Marvel because the original person that wanted to be Iron Man, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. I'm going to get the Declaration of Independence. But, you know. (laughs) (laughs) National treasure, folks. That's what that reference is. Oh, I'm definitely a national treasure with my impressions. So is my wife. Not with the impressions, but with the movie. 
but yeah, he was originally, you know, wanted to be the character and, you know, he also would eventually portray Ghost Rider and for like 20,000 years in development hell, he was Superman. And there's wow. even, you know, there's actually video footage of him in the costume. Okay. If you ever look it up, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened, the documentary by John Schnepp, fantastic documentary. Highly recommend checking that out. Good side note. Okay. But, yeah, he uh, he wanted to be the character, you know, be the character when it was originally in development under Fox. And I don't see it. Him, I don't see, like, at all. On the flip side, the no. person that wanted to play him and was, you know, in development, or I guess in negotiations to do it, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Tom okay. Cruise was originally supposed to be Iron Man at one point. It would have happened. He, I believe, auditioned for it as well. Okay. And I be- I would imagine a screen test exists in the Marvel Studios vaults, which, man, oh, man, there are so many different people, by the way, that auditioned for roles that, you know, didn't get them in the Marvel oh, Universe. Sure. And, for example, one of the, you know, two of them, I'm a big Guardians of the Galaxy fanboy to the point where I have Star-Lord's mask tattooed on my arm, so here we are. But the original person that was supposed to play him at one point was Joseph Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and also the actor who plays Dennis on It's Always Sunny. And, no, Glenn Howerton would not have been a good Star-Lord, but, Uh yeah. But... Tom Cruise, on the other hand, would have made a great Iron Man. It's quite possible, yeah. And instead, things don't work out that way. Things change all the time. And eventually, the person that got cast as Iron Man, Tony Stank, sorry, Tony Stark, was Robert Downey Jr. RDJ. (laughs) Yes. And when I came to realize that, and and my wife was saying, oh, wow, why did they pick him? And I said, well, and I gave her some characteristics of the Iron Man character, Tony Stark, I said, this fits. This reflects Robert Downey Jr.'s life in some respect, because he had a personal problem with substances. Drugs and alcohol, yeah. And recovering and that kind of thing. So, hey, why not, at least in that aspect? But to drop back a second, I'm sure at some point the, in the Marvel House of Ideas or other under other moniker, they'll come up with and say, hey, let's release a what-if documentary all these people who screen tested audition. Oh my let's God. release that and say, what if this person was casted? How and and they fabricate something. I bet you one of these days. Oh maybe my God, year twenty thirty is... or something like that. Who knows? But well, this year is the tenth anniversary of Marvel Studios, and as a matter of fact, you know they actually just released, or they're going to be releasing photos from the Georgia Studios or this the big event that they just had like a few months ago, where every single person who was involved with the Marvel Cinematic Universe converged together and took a photo. Okay. Including people that are going to be in future Marvel films. So, like, for example, Lawrence Fishburne was there, and he got his picture taken with everybody. So Robert Downey Jr., Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, all the Chris's he met. (laughs) Although I do find it funny that we are getting our first major defection from the DC Extended Universe. Um, Lawrence Fishburne, who played the role of Perry White in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. So, hey, you got to give respect to the colon. Just saying. It's punctuation, folks. Let's get it right. One dot on top of another. So, yeah, he was supposed to be, you know, or he's the first major uh, defection. From one to the other. Now I'm thinking of J.K. Simmons. 
that honestly, man, that still breaks From my J, heart. J J J J Jonah Jameson to to Commissioner Gordon. You're oh, fired. He is a good Commissioner Gordon for someone who saw Justice League. And I, fun fact, just had a birthday. Or not fun fact, but out of it, uh, drifting away. I actually liked Justice League. I've said it on Audibly Exquisite, but I liked it. I did too. I liked it. It wasn't perfect, but hey, what is? Well, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. But oh. anyway, so. When that episode comes up, boy, oh boy, is that going to be a fun one for me to discuss. You could do that one all solo, I think, you know. It's possible. But, or otherwise. But I need Captain Ed America. Well, do you now? Okay. We do. Send the call. So, uh, put up the Ed signal. Ed's it's just a pair of glasses. <laughs> and a shield. I like it. The glasses okay. and the shield. The, 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 yes, the, the accessory, not the organization. But no. <laughs> You're but, fired. I'm but, telling you, Parker. But yeah, like a lot of really cool things, you know, are happening, you know, with this, the whole, you know, getting Robert Downey Jr. Because this was his redemption. And it was, Marvel did the biggest gamble with this, in my opinion, by casting him because he he was starting to get momentum again as an actor, getting, you know, roles, not major, major movies, but still stuff. Like he was, I believe, doing The Soloist with uh, Jamie Foxx. And okay. other things that I can't think of at the top of my head. Yeah, I couldn't even recall that one. But uh, you know what you're saying, redemption for himself as an actor. Yeah. Oh, pretty yeah. Much? Okay. And it's just his career in general because, like, he really, 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 you know, got screwed by himself. Well, at the other end of the spectrum, now, is there talk between himself and uh, Chris Evans, Captain America, that their contracts are? ending and they will not be doing these characters anymore just a quick aside it is true from what i've heard and also chris hemsworth's final movie is going to be avengers 4 apparently but he does want to come back as a matter of fact in a recent interview he was going on about he wants Hugh jackman to reprise the role of wolverine he wants (sighs) him back and well that i think is i don't know if that that door is closed now i'm not sure i thought it was because people out there listening don't know if you've noticed if you've been living under a rock or if you've been, you know, living under a living planet named Ego, but Marvel is going to, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to get a lot larger because it can, because Disney, the parent company of Marvel and the parent company of Lucasfilm and so many other things recently announced that they will be buying 20th Century Fox and all of their film and television properties. So this means we'll be seeing Things like the Fantastic Four, well, supposedly the Fantastic Four, Deadpool, and X-Men. And also this means that we will finally see, not a Disney princess, but the Disney queen of Dr. Frankenfurter. So, we're going to be seeing so many new changes coming. Oh my. Including xenomorphs as Disney queen, or Disney princesses. Uh, you, I, you lost me there. I was going with Thing and Fantastic Four, and, you know, we were on that happy little trail. But, yeah, Disney is, uh, you know, just getting it all. And it's... What we may see, yeah, is the Marvel Universe get a lot larger and rectify the the mistakes that had happened, you know, through selling licenses off to different film production companies. Yeah, they just have a a stable of characters undeveloped that can be just brought in. And yes, they'll explain their origins and so on at some point in time. But I think the audiences are now more accepting and tolerant of, who's this? What's this character doing? You know? They'll they'll catch up to speed. They'll they'll Google it kind of thing. And now let me ask you this: Do you feel 
that not having the X-Men, not having the Fantastic Four, not having Deadpool, you know, all these major characters, do you think that benefited Marvel with developing characters like Iron Man, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man? It could have. It could very well have, because if they realized they couldn't work with those said characters, then they had to focus and, and think harder. How are they going to make this do well? Let's face they it. Have. Let's face it. Prior to 2014, when it came out, did anybody really know who the Guardians of the Galaxy were? Doubtful. Other than diehard Marvel fans. They didn't. Very doubtful. And I don't know how many years went into the planning of the characters. And we could go off on another tangent on, on the the original comic book, Guardians of the Galaxy. Significant differences. You know, some people take sides on they didn't they weren't true to the original characters and so on. But to make it more, I think, audience friendly and uh, palatable, here's what they did. The Abnet run, oh. which it's you know the the team is based around, I feel was a much better and much more accessible group than you know what you had in the original Guardians from the '60s. But that's just my opinion. True, exactly. And you know, anyway, going back to the whole Robert Downey Jr. thing, we ended up getting this character that you know not a lot of people knew. But with a with an actor, people did know, and it was an interesting thing to do because you're banking, you know, not just a major motion picture on one actor who has all these personal demons, but you're also putting your chance, or you know, really taking your chances with a guy with all these problems, and he's supposed to be the starting point of your new universe. Yeah. Think about that. But, That's... you know, it, it's it's where I'm thinking, because I did recently rewatch Iron Man, and, and Tony puts up there, and he says, we're going to let it all ride, and it's like $3 million in chips. But maybe the thought was whether they could or couldn't afford to take the loss, if it didn't do well, then they'd regroup and, and reconsider what their options might have been. And by going this route, maybe they thought, if we can do this with a not as as well-known character, with a well-known actor, and it does work, maybe now we have room to look at others that we might not have looked at before and go with it. And case in point, Guardians. Yeah. Who the heck thought this would go where it did, not knowing the group, not knowing these characters, and it turning into what it did? And there was a lot of components. There were a lot of components that made it successful. And me being a little biased, the, the music had a lot to do with Guardians Volume 1. Oh, yeah, the... Uh you know, AM Gold music. It worked perfectly. But we'll be saving that for a few weeks from now oh, when yeah. we cover Guardians of the Galaxy by James Gunn. Now, I think overall, though, like I said, you know, it was a big gamble. And I, I think that's really appropriate that you mentioned that one scene, the whole, I'm going to let it all ride. That's appropriate because that was what the Marvel Cinematic Universe was doing. They were gambling. Yeah. And, you know, when Iron Man came out in 2008, what was the distinguished competition's movie they had come out that year, around that time. Wait, was it Green Lantern? No, that was 2011. Okay. 2008 was The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. So they went up against what is heavily considered to be the greatest comic book movie of all time. I personally dispute that, but that's just me. Now that, of course, I believe was the first in the Christopher Nolan series. That was the second. Oh, second. Okay, because I was thinking that they were taking a chance on this direction for this character, possibly. But I stand corrected. Or sit in this case. 
it's just really interesting that, you know, once again, another big gamble because that was a very, you know, impactful film to the point where even, you know, Heath Ledger won the Academy Award, you know, after his passing for that role. That's another question I'm sure that's come up in a previous uh, cast, uh, you know, posthumously winning. Would it have happened if he was still alive? True, true. We don't know. But now what I also, you know, really dig is they they got a lot of really good names for this film. You know, they got John Favreau to direct. They got Robert Downey Jr. to be the lead. And then you end up building all the other players into this, you know? You end up getting Jeff Bridges to play Obadiah. Well, Stain. Stain. Obadiah Stain, who eventually at the end of the movie becomes the warmonger, or the ironmonger. The ironmonger. Mm-hmm. You have Gwyneth Paltrow playing the love interest, kind of, at that time, of Pepper Potts. Then you have Terrence Howard, I believe. Yes. Playing the role of James Rhodey, who becomes Iron Patriot. And, and War Machine. And War Machine, yeah. and, and Iron Patriot. So in, in that order. No, just the opposite. It's so weird because also, you know, Terrence Howard is actually kind of the topic of discussion that will help also usher in a little bit of what we're going to talk about next episode with Incredible Hulk. So it's something that, you know, what David Bowie called ch-ch-ch-changes, you know? He did. So, but anyway, all of this, you know, going in, it's the major, major big deal. And what I liked about Iron Man... And for the longest time, Iron Man, I considered to be Marvel Cinematic Universe's best film for a very long time. Okay. Like. Until 2014. I would say. No, Guardians. No, Guardians never actually took that spot, believe it or not. Iron Man was number one all the way up until this past year when Spider-Man Homecoming came along. Okay. And we got the ultimate version of what I feel is Spider-Man, ultimate, no pun intended. Uh, another another dimension in the, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I, I don't know. I just, I was really excited, you know, to see this character come about. And it just, it worked so well. It did. Now. No question. I believe around the time you were a big comic book fan and, you stopped collecting comics at a certain point. When did you get back in? Was it around the time of the movies? No, it was before that. I believe it was the early 2000s. I had stopped in about 1993. So you stopped around, and you know, the height of the speculator boom and all that stuff going on? I because it was just getting it, to know, be too much. For me, it was going from two dozen titles a month to increasing costs per issue and crossing over into other books, which I wasn't interested in, trying to follow storylines and just gradually trying to end a story or just say, okay, at this issue number and just be done. And after a hiatus for several years, was spoken to about, oh, you should have a hobby. And Pandora's box was opened. (laughs) Now, around this time, you know, Iron Man's coming back. Were you reading Iron Man at the time when the movie was coming out? No, I, there's unfortunately a lot of catching up to do in, in not only trying to complete runs of comics, but just getting them in order to read and, and so on. So um, unfortunately, with a voluminous amount of comic books here to to be read, they, they still have to be read and you know so on. When you heard that an Iron Man movie was coming out, what were your initial reactions as a fan of you know Marvel? I thought it was great. I was hoping everything would be good with it and the character and so on. Um, 
like I mentioned earlier, a great choice, I thought, for Robert Downey Jr., knowing the character's background, having experienced the Demon in a Bottle run as it came out in the 80s and so on, and following it up to where I left off pretty much. At that point, everything was read and caught up and so on. And and uh, who knows? I mean, if I continue along with that, because a little bit later in the mid to late 90s is when the comic book market was going down to shoot, going down to crapper in the tank. So when other things were coming out, it would have been a good time to to buy comics. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I go straight to Deadpool with that because what was $2, you may not touch for, you know, 12 or more per issue and so on. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, a lot of filling in to do on my part, um, which will eventually happen. It's nah. just fun to be in that in the you know, in the collecting mode and then getting to sit and read and so on. But yeah, I mean, did you feel in some ways though, like, wow, Iron Man, really? They're making a movie about him? Yes, that crossed my mind too. Exactly. Maybe because it was due to the fact that you had a couple of Tobey Maguire Spider Mans already, you know, in the can and out and so on, and not knowing which company had which property, which character, somebody deciding. Let's go this direction with this character. And, you know, overall, the movie is essentially... We'll get, we'll get to the movie. Um, essentially, Iron Man is partially his origin story. And then you get in a little bit, you know, more into him as Iron Man, you know, becoming Iron Man. Yeah. You know, it's the origin story of him with the original Iron Man suit, which I've always thought was really cool that they included it in the movie. Because you would think, oh, they're they're gonna just make it whatever like the comics are. No, they went with the clunky looking, you know, round dome head, all that. Oh, you know. absolutely, yeah. And and the way they set it up to to have it happen, to cause him at least they kind of stayed somewhat true to having the apparatus in the middle of his chest to with keep the shrapnel. shrapnel out of his heart, neck, and you know, you know, comic book heart condition. Okay, different variation and so on, and modifications for the movie to make it again more audience acceptable and pal- palatable and so on, and also um, more modern because yeah, yeah, that exactly. was the major thing of he's an arms dealer and he's doing all this stuff. And what is going on at the same exact time? The Iraq, you know, Afghanistan war. That yeah, they're parallel to to real life, and that's so, so smart. That could have just struck a chord as well. Um, and, and like in the comic books, if you don't realize, he didn't. In the comic books, he was able to carry his armor around in a suitcase. Yeah, and, and no and one knew he was Iron Man. And no one knew, and he put on the, the he put on the armor, the pieces, and so on. And you just went from there. Uh, same thing with the with the '60s uh, animated show from like 1966, when the whole slew of them had come out, and that's something. P.S. That somebody should be putting on DVD for commercial sale instead of you having to find bootleg copies and so on. And I would be in line for that. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, I think it's really interesting, though, that they went with this over-the-top kind of character where he is so egocentric, but also, you know, he's still humble, too, you know? Yeah. And there was something that ran through at least a couple of the movies of Iron Man. Where maybe he thought he was all that again, and he couldn't be knocked off his pedestal by, at the, by for example, at the end of the first one saying, I am Iron Man. Yeah. And causing a whole ruckus. And then. Cue Black Sabbath. Exactly. And then in a subsequent movie, him inviting his opponent, here's my address, come get me. What? You know, again, the second time, you're setting yourself up for, you know, a problem. And sure in enough, his, your Malibu house cha- is no more. 
Yeah, and it's changing who he is, you know, because you look at the comics, like, again, he's very reserved with who Iron Man is, and now they've changed it over the years where it's public knowledge of who Iron Man is, you know? right. And I think that's, again, you'll have the, you know, comic book purist going, oh, how dare you change this? It makes sense, though, with the character for this. They were changing things already with Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Right from the beginning, so... It's just follow suit that you have to work with it. It's, again, director perception and making it more understandable to to the audience and relatable kind of thing. So you have to let them take take their liberties and and you kind of go with, okay, this is the way they want to have it happen. And so you go. And the thing overall with Iron Man that I enjoyed was you get a bare bones version of his origin, but it's not by much. Right. You don't have to stick to all the different uh, aspects of it, right? And you don't, like, it's not the whole time. It's not, you know, oh, he, um... This didn't happen in the comic book, you know? You kind of have to... The audiences have gotten a little more matured that they can roll with it and say, okay, this is... Because you got to remember that people are seeing this for the first time, not having any comic book background. And I came to realize this at some point where I thought, oh, this character's coming out. I'm glad I have all these issues, or I need to go buy these issues and and so on, and they're going to be worth all kinds of... And that was the same thing with with publishing and and stuff like that, but not necessarily the case. Yes, maybe a bunch of people are interested in getting a certain title because, hey, the movie's going to make it more popular and so on. So maybe you could create a buzz for a certain limited amount of time, but not necessarily the case. Um, or it just you know it just reignites a uh, a passion for the collector or perhaps the curiosity seeker who will buy the collected volume instead of hunt like I hunt down the actual individual issues. And I've always said personally, I do enjoy the thrill of the hunt with comics. It's some the best. is good. Some, some is just, oh, still can't find, you know, whatever. Sometimes I just tap out and just go online. Not going to lie. Uh, recently did that for the first time due to a, a half off sale. And free shipping at $50 or more. The really depressing fact is Eddie just sees me do it as he tells me, and my face just dropped as he I, told yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised it didn't hit the floor. You, didn't, you know, I, <laughs> out, way out in, in Denver, Colorado. The, Mile High Comics? Mile High Comics has, uh, I think I had subscribed to them a while ago, but came across New Year's Day, 50 off. All right, let's go. Let's go with the list. So, boom, there's an order of 40 comic books. And then Hot damn. a couple of days later, boom, another 52 comic book order. I'm waiting for him to come. Atta boy. Bated breath. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so going over to, you know, with the movie in general, like I said, streamlining that introduction of the character was so smart. It was absolutely genius for them yeah. to do. And then you still... You're like, oh, well, we already know how he becomes Iron Man. What are we going to do now? What's what's the rest of the movie going to be? <laughs> so you end up building a story, you know, having him fight Obadiah Stane. And, you know, it's like this whole takeover movie, kind of, you know, corporate you know, corporate espionage a little bit, I guess. You could and say. there is a, you know, significant storyline, of course, in the comic books with Obadiah there. I can remember a an Iron Man cover where the word Stark is being changed to Stane International. Yeah. The crane changing one vowel for one letter consonant for another. Uh, so, yeah, there's some parallels or references at least. They, they deviate, but that's so be it. But still, you know, just making that movie the way they did, yep. it was smart. And you end up getting a villain in the form of Jeff Bridges that, you know, with the exception of part of Tron, uh, Tron, I believe, Legacy... 
question mark? Well, yes, there was a Tron like uh, I think it's Tron Legacy. Sounds about right. Okay. And then, you know, the big Lebowski. Every single time Jeff Bridges has had facial hair, he's always a villain. Have you noticed that? Oh, oh sorry. Okay, I was, <laughs> I was just a little bit off on that, too. But, yeah, I guess so, as opposed to having long hair in the King Kong remake with Jessica Lange. Well, yeah, but I, was was he King Kong? No. Um, yes, what are you making me think about that? Yeah, I remember that. He was King Kong? He was King Kong, yeah. He was fighting little biplanes? Big hairy gorilla, yeah. <laughs> Just the one day he decided not to shave, you know? The long hair, I'm telling you. He was a good guy. He was the photographer or something. The uh... When you look at the movie, you know, as a whole, you wouldn't expect the villain of the movie to be Jeff Bridges. I'm sorry, but when I no, see... No, you're correct, because, because part, uh, a good part of that was having seen... In a flashback, after the opening part of of Iron Man, and they go back thirty six hours earlier, and they and they show the progression of Tony Stark through, um, with previously, of course, his father Howard, and Obadiah being there as Howard, you know, Stark Senior's uh, partner, and and coming through, and so on. What you may think, and it could be obvious, was the reason for Obadiah to to turn, so to speak. And that could very well be because with Howard gone, it was most likely thought that Obadiah would run the company. Not so. Come back Tony Stark when he's of legal age and he steps into the to that role. So there may have been a jealousy thing that may have had Obadiah turn. You know, if you were to go that route and explore that character more so. Uh, but but still, yeah, just a bit of a turn that, that it was... That it was he, especially. I think it got re- it got revealed when he went across to Afghanistan. And you'd think you'd think that you know, with Marvel choosing a villain for this, that you would have went with the big guns. You know, when you think of Iron Man, his main villain is usually uh, what's his name, the Mandarin. And uh, they, yeah. They mix things up, which I thought was actually a bit refreshing for this. You know, you don't want to go with what is the norm. Whereas, you know, you look at Captain America, who can you really go for? You have to go with the Red Skull. Yeah. Well, because also, you know, he's a Nazi, you know? Well, with Mandarin, you know, that's another discussion for the next Iron Man film. Well, the two from now. In that, uh, yeah, in, in that uh, fleshing out of that character, that was unexpected, I think, completely. And hot take, I really liked uh, Ben Kingsley as the quote-unquote Mandarin. That's a very controversial one that a lot of people are probably going to hate me for, yeah, but well, here we are. You, know, you could be, be on either side of that one. Send uh, your hate tweets to at Peter Melnick on Twitter. <laughs> Go ahead, I dare you. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's another topic for yeah, future. Bringing in that character, thinking he's all this, but it's just, just a show. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Pretty well done, I think, though. Yeah. But picking Obadiah, that is very, very interesting. And, you know, you also have Gwyneth Paltrow in there as the, again, early love interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but I'll be honest, when she returned in Spider-Man Homecoming, Homecoming, I did not expect that whatsoever. It was a nice surprise. Yeah, and no one knew. So, in all honesty, are people really clamoring, when is Gwen coming back? When is Gwyneth coming back? (laughs) I mean, I got to tell you, you know, I had my uh, petition.org petition, and I'm so happy my prayers were answered. Cool. So, but anyway, I just find overall really humorous that we have her as the love interest. Not, you know, humorous of that, but, you know, that we, again, have another A-list actor, you know, Hollywood actor Mm -hmm. 
in this movie. And it works. It absolutely yeah. works. That's what you're hoping for going into it, and this is what they got. Yeah. And the chemistry between the two. My God. It was phenomenal. Like, you you see that relationship. Like, just the whole, uh, he's such a dipshit, but I love him. Uh-huh. You know, it's that. Yeah, what is and he going to learn? Yeah. She, she puts up with me. I love her. It's that. And it works so well. And, again, the way they interact with each other through the early parts of it in, you know, Iron Man 1 all the way up to Iron Man 3, it's great. Yeah. No. No no question. The development of the characters is terrific. And speaking of developments, you look at Iron Man 1 and you notice a certain character doesn't look the same in subsequent films. I think you know who I'm talking about. I was thinking of the suit of the, the armor, the Iron Man armor, actually. There's variations. That was my first thought, but go ahead. I'm referring to James Rhodey. Rhodes. Yeah, well, okay, true. What happened there? I'm, I was thinking that was an earlier... Recasting. You know, kind of thing, yeah. Eventually, James Rhodes becomes played by Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Starting, I believe, in Iron Man 2. Yes. And I believe it was over a financial dispute, if I'm 100% correct. Could very well be. It's... Mike going to have to visit the Googles for that. Yeah, possibly. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, how what the, what the relevance is. But that's that's something that people have said notice whenever oh what happened it's a different you know whatever how do they how do they do that but you know if that's what happens terrence howard may have been a contractual agreement for one film and they couldn't agree on the second one whatever the cause was don gets it was to pick over up, money it was over money that's usually the number one answer survey said and he had to take he they were gonna have him take a pay cut which i understand because that's the thing about marvel and this is why they're both smart and Not really, so smart. really, well, really thrifty. And I like them for their thriftiness, but then sometimes that thriftiness can bite them in the ass. Yeah. You take a, a person like Terrence Howard who gets the role and then leaves because of money, because he wants, you know, doesn't want to take a pay cut. And then you have someone like Benedict Cumberbatch who comes in at a low figure, but it's his major breakout role in the United States other than Sherlock. You know, it's, okay. it's, and I believe uh, the imitation game he was in, I believe. I don't know. Sorry. I'm going to do a quick Google search. The imitation game is with Booty Dick Cucumber Patch. Anyway, so. Oh, and every. Oh, boy, that Doctor Strange episode is going to be fun for me with all the different <laughs> names of <laughs> Benadryl Captain Crunch. So, oh, we're crying out loud. Oh, I'm going to have a thousand of those. I will have a sheet ready for you. Um, yeah, you better. I'll say, wait a minute, where's that one on this page? Okay, fine. But yeah, so going with you know all of this, it bites them because sometimes you get a person like an Idris Elba who is in Thor, in the Thor trilogy, which is weird to say, by the way, again, a Thor trilogy. Yeah, well, okay. But you have an actor who has a major fan base like Idris Elba, and what is he playing the role of? A minor character. Like, not even a supporting actor. He's just there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think he did that role very well. Oh, he absolutely did. But there are a lot of people out there who are like, when is it going to be Idris's time? And, you know, you have, like, him starring in The Dark Tower, which the less said the better. But <laughs> yeah. I digress. But, you know, yeah, I, I've yet to see that. I'm reserving judgment on that. But, yeah, and, you know, going with Benedict Cumberbatch, who, you know, you have him and he takes – a lower amount to have this starring role, but you still get this actor, this name that's building up momentum over the years. 
and you got him for cheap. That's so smart of Marvel because now they're going to have this guy and he will stay because he's got that loyalty for them, you know? Yeah. There you go. So, and that's why, you know, also Robert Downey Jr. They got him for cheap and he stayed because he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to make as much money off of this as humanly possible and enjoy myself along the way. And not be worried about being typecast and that kind of thing. Plus also, let's be real. He also probably really, really, really loves the fact that he actually gets a piece of money every single time that Iron Man merchandise is sold, even if his face isn't on it. Oh, well, yeah. 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 That's a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. So here we are. But yeah, with Terrence Howard, I liked him in the role of Rhodey. And I liked how he was the straight man to Tony Stark's, you know, over the topness. I loved that. I love my favorite moment in the whole movie is, oh, you think they're going to believe that it's, you know, a UFO or something? And then you just see him go during the press release. Well, there was an identified flying object. <laughs> I loved that. I thought it was just so well written and funny. It worked. It absolutely worked. And he was so great in what he did as Rhodey. Now, I do find it, you know, how out of left field it came when he got replaced by Don Cheadle. Yeah, as I'm sure a lot of people were. And I like Don Cheadle. And, you know, but my thing is this. His version of Rhodey does not compare to what we saw as little as possible as it was. Of, you know, Terrence Howard. Yeah. There's just elements where he you really, really need, you know, Terrence. And Terrence's career really did not recover that well after. I mean, after now that? he's doing Empire now, which, you know, that's uh, fine. Yeah, yeah. Although we are in the golden age of television, so I understand, you know, it makes sense for him to do that. Hey, I thought golden age was a long time ago. Well, there, there, TV. now we have, you know, like, think about it like this. Ever since Mad Men, and then it went from there. Mad Men, Breaking Bad, House of Cards with, unfortunately, cast uh, Kevin Spacey. All of this great stuff, you know? Uh, okay, okay. And the, the, the final words, not the final words, I guess, of, of Terrence Howard. Next time, baby. Oh, um, and again, that scene. Oh, good. And again, that scene. That scene is so great. Yep. Just, you know, it's the little tease, like... You have the comic book fan in the audience literally hitting their friend on the side. Look, look, he's going to be the war machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have that. And it's cool. And I'm not going to lie. When I go with people to these movies, I'm doing that. I'm like, oh, my God, did you see Man Thing? <laughs> you I know? have not done that with you yet. And so thank you again for the warning. You're welcome. Well, well no, we sitting have. Sitting in between us then. If, well, you were behaved then. For Logan. Okay. All right. You were be- Well, that's because I had the claws. Okay. This is true. So And the yellow and blue spandex outfit. <laughs> now, again, you know, just overall, you see, you know, these movies, and they leave the little clues, the little hints. And then you see Clark Gregg show up, you know, talking about how he's working for the strategic something, 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 something. That's a long name. We're working on We're an working acronym. on it. Uh-huh. And, you know, him. We haven't seen him in the major Marvel movies since the first Avengers where he got quote-unquote killed. Right. However... It's very 50-50 whether or not it's still considered canon, yada, 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 but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that's where he moved off to. Yeah. And although I do feel Clark Gregg should make his grand return, but Marvel is also thinking, well, not everyone's watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Who can blame them? No. Uh, True. Well, well it's, got its, it, it's had its ups and downs. I think its ups were in the beginning season or two. Involving Lola because she flies in the air, the car. 
Oh, that, the car. What yes, an sir. awful joke that was. <laughs> anyway. L-O-L-A. Kinks. And there you go. Coca-Cola. Anyway. But yeah, you know, with Clark Gregg introducing, you know, again, he comes in and he's talking about S.H.I.E.L.D. And again, he's the very subtle part of the world building yes. because he's showing the audience there's more to this than meets the eye right now. You know, and more than meets the eye, literally singular. The vowel. We enter the person at the very end of the film through the post credits, Nicholas Fury, portrayed by Samuel L. Jackson. Yep. And again, this is Iron Man is the first movie to feature in the Marvel Cinematic Universe the post credit scene, which there's very few movies that don't have a post credit scene. You know, post I... and mid credit. Well, in in now you're talking about in general or in these in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in the, correct? So, yes. what that scene did, you know, it gave us a sneak preview of what we're going to expect, and you know, him proposing to Tony to join, you know, Shield and start the Avengers. We're looking to, you know, or organize this group. I'm thinking of an exception to to uh, to that, but and I'm probably crossing movie production houses, but I'm thinking, you know, Ghost Rider, right? Those movies, no post credit. Yeah, if I remember, yeah, but kind of thing. But regardless, with that scene, you know, it's what led to people staying, you know, to watch, you Hopefully, know, yeah. seeing who's you know the best boy or the foley artist, you know, yeah, or you get see past that. that to see what else there is to to this, and and again to like like you said, tapping into more with with Nick Fury saying, you think you're the only superhero in the in New York or in the in the in the world, you know, you're wrong. I'm here to tell you this is what I have in mind to propose to you. And again, it's the subtle world building. Yeah. Which I love about it because it's like, oh, there's more? Wait, what do you mean there's more? Right. And it makes you want to be like, well, it looks like I'm gonna have to wait for, you know, Iron Man too. Wait a minute, there's gonna be a Hulk movie? What? <sighs> okay, I'll go see that, I guess. Is that involved? Maybe, we don't know. Then you watch the movie and then who do you see at the very tail end? Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. So. Such seeing, nice suits. You know, seeing all this stuff, it's, again, it's just smart with how they did it. And I would say, overall, Iron Man is one of the best things Marvel has ever put out, Marvel yeah. Studios. And it's very hard to argue that. It's a solid superhero film. It's a great origin story. And it's refreshing even when superhero origin stories are overdone. Like, I rewatched this not too long ago, and I was excited. I was enjoying it just as much as the first time I saw it. And, and maybe, I've seen and maybe yeah, maybe picked up something else, not realized, or knew why something was where it was. And even incorporating Stan the Man Lee into these cameos and so on. One of his many cameos, not just in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but just the regular, you know, Marvel movies. He's been doing these for, you know, decades. And for his first cameo, I thought it was funny. You know, you have him come out as a a Hugh Hefner type. Yeah, exactly. And then just doing that. And it led to so many different fan theories about what Stan is to the point where in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, there we go, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, he makes a cameo. Yeah. And he's with the Watchers. Right. 
And you look at that scene, and that was a common fan theory that he's a watcher. He's in all these different dimensions of, you know, the different Marvel universes. But it turns out he's not. He's just a regular guy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's been, a th- just a quick aside to that, a compilation of the first several movies that Stan has done his cameos in, and they put those in some kind of order. What would be really cool, as we were talking about the post credit scene and so on, is if somebody compiles those into a mini reel, so to speak. Well, they are, they are on YouTube. But... Yeah, yeah, but just string them together and, you know, maybe put the title of the movie, and if there's the mid credit scene and then the post credit scene, string those together. So you have a thread there, even because that's telling its own little story, right? As well. Now, overall, you know, with Iron Man, I would definitely say it still holds up. You know, ten years on, it still holds up just as strong as it ever did. Absolutely. Now, Eddie, with this movie, where obviously, where do you rank it right now with all the Marvel movies that we've discussed so far on the show? Gee, I think we're going to go with number one. Yeah, well, that's where it starts. So, uh, you know, I I can't... I don't think I ever have put them in any kind of ranking. Um, And I just, I guess, judge them individually. Yeah, well, that's it's a tough task, really. Oh, it definitely is. But if it held your interest and didn't have you looking at your watch and you understood what was going on, maybe you need more than one viewing or so on, which is fine. I've watched but, this movie so many times, and every single time, it's just as fresh, just as sharp as it always was. Well, that I think I have to thank uh, some of the TV networks, whether it's FX, um, TBS, TNT, possibly. T- that, uh, FX was the one initially that had the the uh, screen rights or uh, television rights. Okay, they, right. And so they're ingrained now. You know scenes back and forth, and it's on again. Okay, boom, we'll leave it there. You won't, might necessarily be actively watching it, but you're listening and you're tuning I, in and so on. I call it the Star Wars test. Okay. Basically, when I say the Star Wars test, I mean this. Star Wars is my, one of my all-time favorite movies ever made. The original Star Wars, 1977, A New Hope. The reason I say Star Wars test is you can put Star Wars on and do whatever you're doing in the background, and you look and see it again. You know, you you know, look up from whatever you're doing. And you know what's going on. You're just you, and you can be ingrained in it. You know, yep. no question. Other movies for me that include, or you know, pass the Star Wars test include Baby Driver, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which apparently is a real hot take opinion because the sequels uh, are garbage. Blah blah blah. Uh, wink wink. Uh, nudge nudge. No, they're not. I don't. But I digress. Uh, let's see, Logan. I remember putting on Logan. Just you know, I'll see how the uh, noir cut is. Just like for you know, maybe five minutes. I was watching it for about 45 to 50 minutes at that point, and I realized, oh, yeah, I'm still watching this. Uh-huh. But it was a good, oh, I'm still watching this. Like, oh, wow, I just got ingrained in this movie just now. Yeah. Yep. Overall, for Iron Man 2008 by John Favreau, direct, directed by John Favreau, I would give the movie... Out of a ranking of? A five out of five. Okay. It is what you're supposed to do for a comic book movie. Because, the, in my opinion, the perfect comic book movies I've ever seen include Spider-Man Homecoming, yep. Logan. Logan, in my opinion, is the best comic book movie ever made. Wow. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Watchmen, and finally, Iron Man. Hmm. And it's interesting, you know me as the Guardians guy, that I didn't mention Guardians in there. Yeah, yeah. 
I love Guardians, but it does have its limitations. That's all I'll say. And we'll save those for Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah, okay. But, Eddie, where do you, what do you give Iron Man? I'd pretty much give it a five also, I'd say, yeah. It's, if I had to put a number on it, sure. It's, I would say, you can't, you can't replicate a classic, but uh-huh. you can blaze your own trail. And that's what Iron Man did. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I would say, what if, you know, you we were discussing the whole what if. What if now another actor had portrayed Iron Man? In my opinion, could it have worked as well? I don't know. No. Nope. Because, you know, if you ever read the comics The Ultimates, character designs in that series were actually based on different actors, uh... Mark Millar designed all the characters to look like certain celebrities. So, for example, Thor was designed to look like Brad Pitt. Uh-huh. And Nick Fury was designed to look like Samuel L. Jackson. And actually, they discussed with Sam Jackson, hey, can we still use your likeness so you don't sue us? Yes, but if you ever make a Nick Fury movie, I'm playing Nick Fury. Yeah. <laughs> so that's actually how he became Nick Fury in the films. Okay. And the one that they designed to make into Iron Man, Tony Stark... Johnny Depp. If you look at those comics, he's Johnny Depp. Now, do you think an Iron Man movie could have worked with Johnny Depp in the role? Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, because sometimes he'll do a movie where he will engross himself and just go all out. Yeah. Like Ed Wood. Ed Wood is a masterpiece. And then as the years have gone on, he will just go through the motions. Unfortunately, I have to say this, Pirates of the Caribbean now. Mm-hmm. First three were, wow, something incredible with him. And now all it is is just Johnny Depp acting weird with a wig. <laughs> it so, ran its course. The ship has sailed. But how would he have worked as, you know, Iron Man? Could that have worked? We don't know. We don't know. But I would have loved to have seen, you know, a, again, a what-if scenario, just like Nicolas Cage as Superman. What if? Yeah. So now, people out there listening, first off, you can go on Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like ski on there. You can find us on the Twitter at The Marvelists. And myself at Peter Melnick, yourself at E. Wilson. 959. You got it. And throw us up a like. Oh, not a like, but th- throw us up a review on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe. Five star if you're ever so inclined. Now, I decided to start this podcast with you because, first off, every single time I've had you on Audibly Exquisite, and even when I had you on Inside the Batcave, and when I had you on my other show, Move, we would somehow discuss Marvel in any way, shape, or form. We talked about <laughs> Marvel on a Batman podcast. Correct. So, How could you not? It's I had of, to bring you along for this because if I need somebody to do a Marvel show with me, I'm going to have the guy who lives in Marvel Manor. <laughs> and people, again, you're not here. You can't see this, but every single wall has a Marvel poster on it. And I'm not saying a Marvel poster like, oh, I got this at Walmart. No, he has the actual screen posters, you know, uh, theatrical posters. And again, I've always loved coming here because it's just the coolest thing to see. I'm running out of walls. It's the Museum of Marvel. It really is. <laughs> And it's just the coolest thing to be able to 
do a show with a friend who I've known for as long as I have to have these conversations with. And it's just great, you know? It sets the tone. It helps yeah, with the it mood. makes it fun. Yeah. Yep. And that's honestly what this is all about. It's about mm-hmm. having fun. And that's what Marvel is about, having fun. And also occasionally having really dark and scary moments. <laughs> it's true. So now we're going to be experimenting with the style of the show over the next few episodes. We, uh, if there's big breaking news that comes out, we're going to discuss it. So, you know, whatever, like, let's say, for example, a trailer drops. We're going to give our thoughts on the trailer sure. in addition to our review of a movie. And when we're caught up on all the movies, that'll be a subject for another day. But realistically, it'll be a weekly show talking about Marvel news, you know, Marvel Cinematic. Because now since since Marvel is buying Fox, or not Marvel's buying Fox, Disney, Disney is buying Fox, we're going to be talking about all the things under the Fox branch too probably, realistically. Sure. You know, sure, the upcoming in. New Mutants movie, which is going to be a horror movie, which if you've read New Mutants by Bill Sienkiewicz and uh, Chris Claremont, it makes so much sense. So much sense. Well, that's a piece of news that I did not know about, but you're more up on it, and that's I'll, just what happens. I'm going to show you the trailer after uh, we're finished recording. Okay. It's it's intense. Okay. That's all I'm going to say, but it's from the Logan School of Let's Just Try Something Different, and I love it. But anyway, we'll, we're going to figure this out, but obviously we're going to be talking about all the movies. And my idea for this podcast came about with the Marvel rewatch that is going on. So if you're listening to this episode today... This is technically, you're going to watch the movie for this upcoming week. This week, watch The Incredible Hulk. Right. And then we're building up to the big granddaddy of them all, Infinity Infinity War. War. And I got to tell you, out of all the Marvel movies, I am the most excited for this. Because it's going to be, we're seeing characters interact with each other that we would never see. No, and have not up to this point. And the trailer for Infinity War is just flipping awesome. Eddie, when you saw that trailer for the first time, by the way, how did it make you feel? Psyched. Excited. I Can't will, wait. I will say this. This is the geekiest thing I could ever say. But every single time I've seen it, I've gotten goosebumps. There you go. When you see right at the tail end, oh, who the hell are you guys? Yeah, and then you see Thor. the Guardians. <laughs> and then you see Mantis just gently wave to Thor. I love it. It's we're seeing all these characters that, again, 10 years ago, if you told me you're going to love the Guardians of the Galaxy so much to the point where you have a Star-Lord tattoo on your body. Yeah. And I would look at you and go, first off, who are you and why are you talking to me? Yeah. And second, I'd be like, wow, what's a Guardians of the Star 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 Prince? What? <laughs> so that's where we're at. You know, they've done such a great job of building this universe and making these people excited about characters that no one would have cared about 20 years ago. Correct. It's cool. And I've got to tell you, they're doing a good job of me making mine Marvel. Making ours Marvel. Damn right. So now, once again, next week's episode, what y'all are going to be watching is The Incredible Hulk, starring Edward Norton. As we close out this episode, once again, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash themarvelists. Find us on the Twitter at... The Marvelists, myself at Peter Melnick, and yourself at, at E Wilson nine five nine. We're also probably going to be up on Instagram. Probably going to make that Instagram name in a little bit. So okay, basically just throwing up cool different crap. And yeah, so have a marvelous week, Excelsior.
Joni Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man, oh, just a place, he fights and 